Everyone eats out every day, but people don't think about how food arrives on the plate. This is Grounded, and I'm Lauren Mitchell. Join me as we delve deep into the challenges, expertise, and experiences of professionals and innovators in the food service industry. Grounded is powered by the Buyer's Edge Produce Division. Our mission is to provide innovative solutions and excellent service to food service operators. Hey listeners, it's Lauren Mitchell. I am very excited for you to hear Mark Avery today. What a fantastic individual with global experience from multiple brands, including McDonald's. He gives great insight about the acquisition of multiple brands as part of your growth mode and understanding some of the shared services that can be set up to support all brands, but also what brands would benefit from not uh, being part of the shared service and needs their own. So listen to that as well as his three principles that guide his decision-making. Lots of nuggets in this one for sure. Thank you so much again, Mark, for being a guest. And then second, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening and thank you for submitting guest recommendations. I've got such an awesome list of individuals to speak with and I'm so grateful for that. Keep them coming, anyone from a producer and a grower, farmer, or to someone that started their own brand, uh, restaurant and food service that you think has a really interesting story. I would love to talk to them. So thank you so much and look forward to hearing from you and enjoy the show. Today's guest is a master at identifying tasks and skill sets. He motivates everyone to contribute to the initiative, and he has a tenacious, hardworking business mind. He's generated millions of dollars for a string of globally recognized brands, including McDonald's, Burger King, Yum! Brands, P.F. Chang's, and Applebee's. President at Mark Avery Consulting, Global Head of Partnerships and Supply Chain Strategy at Fat Brands, Mark Avery, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lauren. Uh, Thrilled to be here and join you for this podcast today. I'm very excited. With my discussions with you so far, you've left an impression on me each time. Um, They're, you know, wanting me to bring you on specifically so I can share your energy with the world. I believe people have a lot to learn from you from uh, the full gamut of experiences and um, roles that you've been in. But let's start with Fat Brands. Uh, It's such an eccentric name and uh, especially for a company in the food service business. For those who don't know, tell us what restaurants are within that umbrella and and what your role with them uh, currently involves right now. Happy to. Well, Fat Brands really comes from the first brand that's part of our portfolio, which is Fat Burger. Fat Burger is a QSR uh, restaurant that is now in 40 some odd states and in 20 some odd countries and is actually one of our fastest growing brands. But since Fat Burger, we have grown primarily through acquisition. Today, uh, we're a portfolio of roughly 18 different brands and we've been organized uh, by really different divisions. We have our QSR division. And that primarily, it's just a little bit of a misnomer because it was it came from our acquisition of the global uh, franchising group, which was Roundtable Pizza, plus a lot of their snack brands, uh, um, Pretzel Maker, Great American Cookie, Marble Slab, Hot Dog on a Stick, some of those other, and um, some of those other um, brands that uh, are really not a traditional re- full service restaurant, but snack brands as we call them. You know, and then we've grown uh, through other acquisitions. We have our casual division, 
And that's primarily made up of round of, of hurricane grill, of buffaloes, and of um, native grill and fazolis. And then and then finally we have our polis casual, uh, which is uh prime which is right now it's only um it's only the Twin Peaks brand, but uh we do have some other acquisitions that are that are in play in the future, Lauren. So those were just those weren't all 18, but that just gives you an overview of uh, the different divisions that our brands are in. Okay. So to recap here, that's interesting. Fat brands, where does the name come from? Fat Burger, the original um, starter restaurant with that, which is in over 40, 40 states and international too. Yeah. Um, and you've divided up of the 18 current brands, kind of these these verticals, QSR, casual division, and and polished casual. I'm curious just from um, a, a category management standpoint of the 18 different brands, is your fresh produce category manager coming from each, like, do you have 18 different produce category managers within that? Or how do you guys separate um, some of the responsibilities when you've got so many different brands like that, just, I guess, from a high level? Great question. And I would be remiss if I didn't go back and say, I, I, I failed to mention our fast casual uh, division, but I just didn't want to go too uh, granular. Um, but we do have the QSR, fast casual, the casual, and then the polished casual. Those are really our four different divisions. And all Perfect. eight brands will fall in one of those. Now, back to your, your last question. You know, we, as we have grown through acquisition, we acquired the full supply chain that we acquired. And so however that supply chain has grown, whether it be a category manager managing its produce or whether it be getting their produce through their distributor is what is, is what we acquired. Um, as you will learn through this discussion, you know, since we've made all those acquisitions, one of my primary roles has been, what are we going to do about this, Mark? What do mm -hmm. we do with these 18 different supply chains that we have acquired? And, you know, do we keep them? Uh, do we keep a, a supply chain by uh, division? Or do we break all of this up and create one new integrated supply chain across all divisions? Or do we do something different? So that has been uh, what I've been challenged with. And I'm sure you're probably going to want to dive into that a little bit more. <laughs> yes, it brings up some good questions. I'll keep following through here and we'll definitely be circling back to that. But sure. uh, so interesting with, acquis with acquisitions, you acquire the whole supply chain. I don't think that's uh, something that people consider with that, but very complex. Um, yeah, if I can, and if I could just add on to that, not only are we acquiring the whole supply chain, of course, we're acquiring, you know, all aspects about that business. And as some of the other uh, brands that may be listening uh, know, uh, uh, when you acquire their, uh, when you have multiple brands, quite often uh, the parent company will want to have some sort of shared services organization. And, uh, and, and I've, been with a, a lot of different brands in my past um, and been with brands that have created the shared services. Um, but it's, it's, you know, there's certain functions that no matter if you have two brands or if you have 200 brands, you're going to want to have certain functions that are supporting all of them. Typically, you know, your finance, for example, would be a, a shared service. Counting all of your financial things would all uh, typically be shared services. But you know, more progressive brands are looking at IT as a shared service, uh, began looking at 
supply chain without a doubt, without a doubt as a shared service. And then typically some other areas like culinary, R&D, the areas that you might not want to create a shared service as you acquire brands might be your operations. Because as you know, um, each of the brands has a unique set of uh, brand standards and operation standards that sometimes may be better served to be ubiquitous to that brand as opposed to, you know, the same across all brands. Interesting. So in terms of shared services, some functions are built for a shared service such as finance, but others, and that was where I was going next. So great call there. Um, what would not be built for a shared service? What functions do you believe are best to be fit, you know, unique with each brand? And you brought up a supply chain. I'm sorry, operations. What about food safety? Is that something that you would consider to be valuable as a shared service? Or is it something that needs to, to live and stay within each brand as, as kind of a, a custom team? Yeah. Well, let's face it. The one thing that we've learned in being in the food service industry is that food safety is, should be the most important thing that any of our brands are concerned about or focused on, maybe more so than anything else. It is the only one thing as we have seen with companies like Jack in the Box and Chipotle, that could literally bring the whole brand down potentially and cause a lot of, of, of disruption in terms of, you know, your stock price and, 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 and certainly the customer's perception of you and take a long time to rebuild. So that's an interesting one that you bring up. Uh, it's one we are finding that while you want to have, you know, some uh, measures that uh, ensure food safety across all brands um, as a standard, maybe right. depending upon the products and how you are serving those products or preparing those products, you may have some unique aspects about food safety based upon the brand itself. So... Mm -hmm. For example, if you are doing a lot of preparation in the back of the house, as opposed to bringing in all of your products already, you know, pre-cut pre and whether it be produce or so forth, you know, you, you might have um, a higher degree of, uh, of food safety measures where, you know, where you have risk uh, to your products and or to your customers, as opposed to another brand that everything is pretty much coming in in the back of the house that's already been, um, that have been with suppliers that have really strong food safety measures in place and don't require some of the same level of in-store procedures. So you could have some difference in the, in the area of food safety um, from one brand to the next, depending upon uh, the food that's being prepared. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it, it lives with the ingredients being served. And I, I agree. It's a, it's a primary and critical piece to, um, any brand. In fact, it's often the reason why people come and, and consult and, and ask for our services is they've acquired a brand and there's um, a level of, of food safety that they want to bring up to speed with that brand and, and we'll initiate the process. That and, and, and pricing transparency. I haven't even gone through the agenda of questions here. You've got me on so many awesome tangents. Tell me what key principle exists at your core to drive decision-making for your brand or brands um, that's been key to your success? Well, that's an interesting question. And I'm going to start off by saying that for those that know me or for those that don't, 
Um, I'm a little bit uh, untraditional. I will tell you some of the principles that drive my decision making. And frankly, they start off with my gut and my instinct. Um, this is nothing that I've necessarily learned. And you'll, if you spend some time with me, then you'll learn that there is a little bit of a spiritual nature to me. I, I do believe in my faith. And, and, and I, it does start off with, with my instinct and my gut. And that has a lot um, that has to do with just my experiences through life that are the first thing that drive my decision making. The second thing, and this kind of ties again into my spiritual belief, is is doing the right thing is the next kind of principle uh, that I would use in driving uh, decision making. What what is the right thing I should do here, Mark? You know, um, and then. And then, you know, I, I, I always want to make sure as I'm making decisions that I am staying true to my core values. And, and, then, and, then, and then finally, you know, frankly, I try to bring in, you know, some of my business principles, which is, you know, what's, what's financially uh, going to make the most sense um, and going to have the greatest impact to uh, the business and whatever the business objectives are. Um, that finally comes into place. But I'll, I'll say to you, it's not the first, it's not the first area that I look at as I'm making decisions, which I find some of my colleagues might go right to that. Um, and I would say that's, that's a little bit later on in my process of, of principles around how I think about decision-making. Awesome. You started out by saying that you, you know, you utilize your gut and instinct. And I think that that's just the the great fun about life is as you age and gain experience in anything, whether it be in sport or profession, and you invest time, um, that's the greatest reward is you begin to be able to rely on your gut and instinct um, for decisions. And certainly in supply chain, there's decisions being made day in, day out. We're problem solving all the time, but specifically with fresh produce, you know, you're on a time crunch and there's a, a lot that goes into managing um, something with like that specifically with a short, short life cycle. Um, so I, I love that you mentioned gut and instinct, and it's, it's certainly something that I feel you've built over time, just given your experience. And if I may add a little more to that, I know you didn't ask, but, you know, I do have a birthday in two days from now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not shy in saying that I'm, I'm, um, I'm going to be 61 years old and, and, you know, and I wear that badge, um, happily. I don't see it as 61 years old. I actually see it as 61 years wise and young. Uh, I don't look at my age. It does not define how I live for those who know me know that. Um, but, but I relish the learnings, uh, that have taken place over those decades uh that i've had in the business world and so yeah i i i um as i'm entering into my 61st birthday and still in the industry and don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon this is really about um having a positive impact to uh, myself and to others that i'm around on a day-to-day -day basis and i hate and and i and i find being in, involved in the business world is um, you know, it was something that I, I hope to continue to do for, for many decades to come. Love it. Well, speaking of 61 years almost, and happy birthday to you. Thank you. Um, I want to take you back to when you first started your career um, in food service and or supply chain. 
What would you say is the greatest improvement we've experienced from where we sit today? Without a doubt, it's in um, it's in information. You know, I started off 30 some odd years ago at this little company called Golden State Foods. Golden State Foods, for those of you who don't know, um, are a multi-billion dollar company with primarily one customer. Back when I worked for them, they only had one customer and that customer had golden arches. Mm-hmm. And they're a unique company in that they um, have, uh, they're in both the manufacturing and distribution business. And not only are they in manufacturing and distribution, their manufacturing is all over the board, including your business, which is produce. They had a company called North American Produce. They probably still do have that company. Um, where they provided produce items to the to McDonald's, but they also are in the beef business, sauce business, and many other businesses from a manufacturing standpoint. I've worked for many other companies in between that company and fat brands. But the biggest difference I see between I, when I started there in 1989 is information. Um, I remember at that time we were really working on how to improve the restaurant ordering process. And we came up with this most innovative idea that was called ROS, otherwise known as Restaurant um, Ordering System. And what we thought was so innovative back then is that we could tap into the POS system at the restaurant. We could understand what was being sold. And then we could take that information and explode it into what are all of the raw ingredients that it took to sell that menu item. And then we could automatically generate an order. That was so innovative back in those days. And today, that is standard for all of the POS systems that are out there. They And that information is being used in ways that you could never imagine uh, today with regards to ordering. So that's just a small example. But there's many other examples, to, examples throughout uh, our industry um, of where our information and data is just so much more plentiful today than, than we used to have and our access to it. And the speed in which we could get that information is just so much faster that it really um, has changed uh, how I do business and how we do business uh, in, in supply chain and in the, in, in, in the industry as a whole. Access to information, speed of information, and then what we can do with that information. Um, absolutely great improvements in supply chain. Yes. What would you say is is something that um, needs the greatest focus on at this point? Well, um, I, you know, I I think that it really has a lot to do with um, what is going on in the world around us. Um, number one, uh, we there is a we are operating in a global economy today, and as opposed to you know in the past. You know, a lot of things were looked at more from a domestic standpoint. So how do you operate in a global economy, I think, is, is one. Secondly, um, is what are some of the changes that are happening in terms of how people are living? What do you mean by that, Mark? Well, let's just take AI as an example. Artificial intelligence. That is really changing how we how people are living today and it is certainly will change how we work and it will probably change even you know depending upon your discipline it has potential to change um your role and what you do 
So um, I, I just think some of these factors that are going on um, outside of us that are changes in the world are really playing a much greater impact in our jobs than uh, we've ever experienced. And we really need to be thinking about these things and say, what does this mean to me? So I need to adapt to this, embrace it, because it, we're not going to be able to stop many of these changes. And how do I, what is my relevance given some of these changes that are happening around? Okay, you brought it up with global, and I'm going to go here. Um, I just acquired Lauren's Pineapple Express, and it's got locations in the U.S., and I've got locations outside of the U.S., um, what, what should my expectations be in terms of, um, spec management within and outside of the U S I mean, what are some of the realities that come with consistency when you're dealing with a brand that is outside of the United States? Fantastic question. Having been responsible for the, um, global supply chain of dime brands, which is Applebee's and IHOP. Let me first of all say when you're managing your business internationally, take everything everything that you've learned from managing a business domestically and put it in your back pocket. <laughs> I don't throw it away. Just put it in your back pocket and not your front pocket. It should go in. It should be something that you can pull out if necessary, but you really need to start off with a blank slate when you go in there and say, what again makes sense here? And the, let me just, uh, talk about some of what I think are the biggest uh, challenges uh, for the operator that's operating internationally, whether it be a company-owned um, restaurant as your Lauren's Pineapple Express, whether it, be a, um, whether it be something that you own or whether it be franchised, the issue is going to be the same. Your number one issue is going to be unit-level economics. How do you know, you're, you grew this business probably in the U.S. and decided to go international for all kinds of reasons. Wonderful. And you made that decision based upon your you know, your economics of your U.S. business. What was your food cost? What was your labor cost? And all of the other pieces. What were your what were your infrastructure costs? And you assumed if if I can somewhat replicate that internationally because I'm I've done well in the U.S. Then man, we can really grow this brand uh, globally. Well, what you quickly learn is that there are two costs that are probably going to be dramatically different. One is your food cost, and two is your labor. Food cost has the, is going to have a much likelihood of being anywhere between two to 500 basis points higher. And then your labor can be anywhere between one and, you know, 500 basis points lower. And so, you know, the question is, you know, which one is it? And which, which, of, which of those two might have an impact on it being a good business decision for you to continue to run this business? That's the first piece. The second piece is, as you look at ways to offset that increased food cost because you're importing it from the U.S., if you're going to look at now, I want to find local sources for those same products, you're going to have to be willing to change your brand specifications and standards because there's no way that you're going to be able to match every single product that you're using in the U.S. with local sources of supply. It's just not possible, no matter where you go, whether it be Europe, Latin America, Asia, or any other portion. So the question is, are you willing to change your brand standards and your specifications? Quite often, Lauren, you may say, 
I want to change it because there are some local preferences that we want to appeal to in terms of taste. Um, so some of those could be desire changes, but others could be that it's just not practical. Uh, it's not desired. Actually, you think it degrades the standards of your of your of your product, but the cost to import what would maintain those standards are just too high to make good unit level economics. How do you know when to go then? How do you know that it's the right move to go from the U.S. as you using that same example? It's going it's going great. You want to grow. You've grown across multiple states and and then you want to get up into Canada, over into France, who knows where. Um, is there something that you would look at specifically to to drive that decision or that you would recommend others kind of use as a basis? Yeah, you know, um, it, it, that does not differ from the same thing that makes you decide whether or not you want to go from California to Dallas or from Texas to Florida. And it starts off with, as you look to grow your business outside of your core market, it starts off with, who am I growing with? Do I have the right partner? And that is a probably one of the most important decisions that we can make when, when we're in the franchising business. The second one, however, is actually the supply chain. Um, most of us that are in the business know we have been with brands that have decided that they're going to grow quickly. Am I, am I growing in a, to, in a region that I do not have a supply chain for? That my current dis distribution does not go to, so I'm now having to get with a new distribution system. It could be with the same company. It could be with Cisco, for example, but in a new market. But in this instance, Lauren, we've gone from a market that had 100 or 500 stores to a market that has now, now has one. And all of us that are in this business know when you go to that distributor, I don't care how many restaurants you have in your core market. When you go to that distributor and you're saying, I'm going into this new market with this one restaurant, with these quantities, you're going to have a lot of special orders and you are going to have a challenge with your supply chain that you can't deliver against. And it actually, that challenge could end up causing that restaurant to go out of business. So so the, so the supply chain becomes a major factor as you think about growing your business, whether it be in another state in the U.S. or whether it be uh, outside of the U.S. in another country. The operator and the supply chain are two of your most critical factors. That's great. I think that, you know, since the pandemic, supply chain continues to take more of a center stage, even with um, executive level board meetings and wanting to know the information source points of their cost. Um, but also, as you mentioned, driving decision-making with um, growth considerations. So making sure that you have the right people in the room when you're making these decisions um, in terms of marketing and innovation and sales and growing and going, but also coming back down to ground level with supply chain and understanding sourcing points. Um, I love it. So yeah, again, two two key components to to understanding when do you grow and where do you grow is do I have the right partner and what does our supply chain look like? Those are great answers, Mark. Okay. So here we've learned a lot uh, from you. I want to learn a little bit more about you and specifically some of the brands um, within fat brands. So talk to us about team and people and leadership. What have you done in your environment where any motivated team member can not only survive, but really thrive? I remember going to a part of my career uh, was working at a company called J.R. Simplot. And J.R. Simplot is based out of Boise, Idaho. 
And I remember going there and I brought in a lot of change that I actually replaced the head of supply chain for J.R. Simplot. I was fairly new in, in, in my career. Uh, I left Golden State Foods. I went to McDonald's Corporation. From McDonald's, I went to J.R. Simplot. And I, I came in as head of supply chain for J.R. Simplot's food group. I was pretty young. Um, it was a big role. And all they knew is that they wanted to fully change how they were managing their supply chain. And I remember one of the employees that worked there said to me one day after me being there for about a year that um, when she walked past my office, it made her stomach turn um, and not in a good way. And, and I'm telling this story because, you know, I came in with the directive from the company that they wanted to change everything and they wanted but the change that they wanted was really was reflect was 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 what how mcdonald's managed the supply chain and they wanted me to come in and make all of those changes in the supply chain for jrsm plot and what i learned lauren just by that comment was that um you really need to bring the long the people along with you as you are affecting change in organization. And you really have to, um, you have to be able to be flexible to do that so that you're not a bull in a china shop. And so I think I learned from that. And I, I, I think the biggest thing I can tell you about that story is, you know, in two years later, she came back to me and said, you've had the greatest positive impact to my career and my future that I've had since I've been working. And she had been a longtime employee there once I realized that I could make the change, but I have to be able to do it um, incrementally to where that person is at. I have to be flexible. I have to be adaptable. Can't just approach things one way. I have to realize that everybody is different and unique and an individual. And I have to adjust my leadership style to that person, not that person adjusting their growth and changes to me. That is so interesting you say that. I I tend to uh, favor your personality style that you mentioned in the beginning in terms of <clears throat> untraditional, sometimes bold, making bold swift moves and then maybe going back and correcting after. Yeah. Um, but kind of working with a little bit more force out the gate, let's say, and at least kind of seeing where the chips fall and, and fixing as, as needed there. Um, there's strengths and weaknesses to that, but you mentioning, you know, having to live that in in the line with with people and managing, and specifically when affecting change, just staying more incremental with change and kind of ten percent at a time. I think that balance is is very challenging, and I love that you brought that up. So yes. All right. Um, one thing I'm focused on, and I'm not sure if you have too much information about it, but I'm curious about it is, you know, this concept of density and how it really can support growth for any brand. You know, we can look at, um, you know, footprints of national brands and how they kind of start cluttered around one area, just from, again, a sourcing perspective, but also logistics standpoint. Um, and then perhaps if they do, you know, peter off into a franchise model, they might start going into different pockets here and there. But what you guys have done at Fat Brands is start to actually layer brands within one store footprint. We've seen a little bit of that following the pandemic with ghost or virtual brands, but you are physically putting 
what I would call a tri-brand, so to speak, within one store model. Do you know much about that? And can you share kind of what that experience has been like? You talked about density. Um, you talked about um, ghost kitchens. And you also uh, talked a little bit about co-branding, okay? So with regards to the density piece, we already talked about that going into new markets. But I will tell you, being with a company that right now does not have a lot of respect for whether or not we are dense or not, but is really more concerned about growth. Um, I'm having to, I'm having to adapt and figure out how to address being able to open up markets where we do not have density. And let me just say that it's really causing me and our team to really expand our mindset. Mm. Um, and and so we're having to consider different ways to distribute that are non-traditional, whether that be looking at drone deliveries or looking at Amazon or looking at all of these other different um, non-traditional distribution systems that we can retrofit to meet our needs is an example of having to readjust our thinking. How do we work with redistributors such as a dot um, and some of the others is another um, way of really looking at um, how do we address this whole area of density. Let me move on to ghost kitchens for a minute. And while um, we, our company was a, a, a big player, uh, certainly during the pandemic, but even before uh, with ghost kitchens, we, like most others, have found that um, that model is not all that it was cracked up to be. And we all know about Reef uh, in 2019 that was called the fastest growing restaurant chain in the, in, in the world. We all know that um, since that time, these ghost kitchens or virtual kitchens, which are two different concepts, by the way, um, have really struggled. And it's interesting, just yesterday, I placed an order with Uber Eats, got the product from a well-known deli sandwich shop. And when we got the order, we all knew it wasn't made at the restaurant. It was made at some um, ghost kitchen. Product, the, 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 everything was different than what our experience was when we went to the restaurant. And that's what I think um, is what, what, uh, folks are finding with respect to the ghost kitchens. And while that was thought to be a way that you can grow in markets that you're not in today and really expand your business in a massive way, we're finding that that expansion uh, may not be long-lived because you're not able to provide the brand standards that grew the business in the first place. There is a way that you, some are trying to do it, but overall, I think, um, this experience is because it's um, commonplace. It's very difficult to grow it through ghost kitchens because you're just not able to deliver against the brand standards. And then, but, you know, with respect to co-branding, um, it is a huge growth mechanism for us. We now are having um, discussions with potential franchisees and saying, pick and choose of the 18 brands that we own, and they're loving it. They're make, coming up with combinations that you, um, that we never, we even we never envisioned. We want, they're saying for our market, we want pizza, 
we want burger and we want chicken or chicken or we want, you know, we think a, a cookie, a snack brand plus uh, coupled with this particular what believe it or not, we had a food court that specifically asked for Ponderosa and Bonanza. Now, I got to tell you, if you know anything about our brands, even we have to say that, you know, that is a brand that hasn't been growing very much. As a matter of fact, it's been declining. There's no secret there. But even, you know, this food court said, hey, for our market in our area, we'd we want to bring that in along with these other five or six brands. We're having food courts that are saying we want fat, it to be a fat brands food court. We want 16 of your brands all in our food court, giving the type of option. So this co-branding idea has really been a great tool for us to grow our business and one that we're finding is really resonating with our um, franchisee base. Boom. That's where we say mic drop. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to bring us back down to ground here and wrap us up because that um, I think that point alone will have people knocking on your door, perhaps with additional follow-up questions. So at the end of this episode, we will um, provide the the areas that you can reach out to Mark Avery yourself. Um, and again, uh, Mark, just so fun to have you on. I want to know outside of produce and supply chain and consulting, what do you do for fun? Well, um, I I like style and fashion, um, and so believe it or not, I shop more than you can imagine. <laughs> I love people and I um, I do things to put myself a lot around groups of people or even if I'm just, you know, in a grocery store, I love interacting with people and, and just what comes out of that. Um, and um, I, I frankly love um, trying to impact other people that are less fortunate in a positive way and share some of my blessings on to uh, others in, in any way possible. And then finally, I, I just love new cultures and travel and getting outside uh, many times of, 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 of my culture or in the U.S. and experiencing people that are different and then trying to figure out ways that we can learn more about each other and, you know, while um, uh, recognizing and appreciating the differences, finding some points of commonality as well. What a beautiful answer. I love that. How about a daily habit, something that you do every day that keeps you grounded? I um, I spend time with my, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I spend that every single morning, and that is what keeps me grounded at uh, gives me some direction um, about things that I've done wrong that I need to go and repent or ask for forgiveness for, whether it be with people or with, or even with, for myself. And also just the nourishment I need to go on throughout the day. Love it. How about a tool or a strategy in your workday that saves you the most time? Uh, seeking first, first to understand and then be understood asking questions. All right. Do you have any mentors in the business and in what way? What has stuck with you? Yeah, I have a lot of mentors and, um, you know, I, I would encourage people to do this as what I do. I actually 
seek out mentors. I find people and I have them in five areas of my life. I think of my life in terms of my social, my physical, my spiritual, my emotional, and my financial. And I seek out mentors in each one of those areas. And I try to do things that sharpen the saw in every single one of those areas on a regular basis. Now, when I seek out a mentor, I must say that I, I don't just say, hey, would you mentor me? I say, I bring them, here's what mentoring means to me. And here's my role as a mentee. And here's what I would like you to consider your role to be as a mentor. I try to make it as easy as possible for them uh, to help me to grow. Um, and I try to take on as much of the work as possible so that I'm not a burden for them because they're doing me a favor. Awesome. Yeah, I think mentorship is interesting. I think it is important the way you ask and even whether you ask. I think sometimes these roles just happen organically over the course of time. Some people feel pressured by role titles and assignments. Um, some of the most beautiful relationships I've had in my life have just kind of come as a result of um, time, experience, and, and how it just can build on each other. Um, sure. You know, I think we gravitate towards the people that impact us and, and you know, that we're, um, you know, that we want to model ultimately. So I, that's a great answer. Okay. And last, but definitely not least, especially with burger brands, um, right up in your lane, what is your staple produce item for a burger? And I've gotten the best answers to this. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, and you asked personally, it's all about the tomato. <laughs> okay. We haven't had that yet. Okay. I, I, I figured that. I told you I'm a non-traditional guy. But um, yeah, really, I, I, I think, I, I mean, I love tomatoes. I just think that, the, I think when I think of a burger, and by the way, uh, many burgers don't have tomatoes on them. So, but for me, if I was to make my burger, it's, you know, I mean, you're always going to have, you know, the other one that I would say secondary to the tomato would be the pickle. Uh, but, um, but uh, you know, the tomato to me is just really as fresh. It gives a, a flavor profile to that burger that you can't get without uh, that tomato. And um, yeah, it's my favorite item on, a, on, a, on, a, on a, my favorite produce item uh, on the burger, a second to the pick. Awesome. Well, co-branding and growth, domestic, international supply chain management, and just being faith-centered in general. Mark, it has been an absolute pleasure. I have no doubt uh, people are going to reach out and, and ask questions and perhaps want to um, take you out for a, a round of golf or, or lunch and connect further from there. So if people want to get a hold of you, um, where can we send them? Uh, you can ask them, right? You can, you can provide my contact information. Anybody can call me, reach out to me by, by email. And as um, most people know, I'm very visible in the industry. I'm at most events and functions. And uh, please introduce yourself or I'll introduce myself to you. Uh, and uh, love to connect with anybody and pass on anything and learn. I'm, I'm learning, by the way, as much as I am sharing uh, in this industry, especially from the newcomers. I learn more from the newer new, newcomers than I do from those that I've known for years. So I really want to connect with those that are newer to the industry. But you guys have so much to teach me, and I may have a couple of uh, insights to share with with them as well. Excellent. 
I'm sure they can find you on LinkedIn and, and we'll put your personal website on the show notes as well. Very good. Mark, thank you so much again. And um, thank you to our listeners. If you learned something today or laugh, tell a friend about this podcast. Um, so appreciate the time. It has gone by quick for me. And um, again, thank you so much. Thank you, Lauren. It was, it was a pleasure speaking with you. And that wraps up another episode. We have covered a lot of ground today. Thank you for joining. For show notes and our most updated market report, visit us at groundedthepod.com. Grounded is powered by the Buyer's Edge Produce Division. Our mission is to provide innovative solutions and excellent service to food service operators by leveraging technology, talent, and an insatiable appetite to improve.